Hey everyone, welcome to Shift, or welcome back if this isn't your first time here. Shift is a daily podcast where the thoughts and insights presented center around shifting expectations and being in a constant state of growth. I'm excited that you're here. Hopefully, you'll find value in the content presented, and if so, I hope you'll visit the website togetherweshift.com and check out some of the other resources available. In addition to the daily podcast, on Fridays, I'm presenting interviews and conversations with people that I think will inspire you to continue the shift. These are people that either I've met or their stories I've heard, and I believe that their experiences and the lessons that they've learned are going to give you some value. Oftentimes, these conversations are organic and they just flow. So they may be an hour, they may be two hours. In any event, I think it's good stuff, and I hope you think so too. Welcome to Shift. With me today is Brett Harward. Brett is an amazing individual. He's one of my favorite people on the planet. I don't get to spend nearly enough time with him. And he's an author. He's an entrepreneur. He's a father. I think you might have more kids than I do. There's not many people that do. I, I do. think you have 13, if I'm right. 13, yep. 13. So I have eight and everybody thinks I'm crazy. So we can definitely dive into what, what <laughs> raising 13 children looks like. Um, and he's also known as the trainer because Brett runs or hosts or facilitates, I guess is the right word, a a personal development seminar, I guess you would call it. I mean, I don't know what, you know, we're always trying to figure out what the right language is on these things these days, but it is a, a personal development seminar called BU that was really one of the most transformational events of my life. And if you have an opportunity, check out BU. Is it BUtraining.com? Yep. 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 Check that out. Now, you're going to want to know more about it. And unfortunately for you, but fortunately for us, what happens at BU stays at BU. So what I can tell you is it's amazing. It's trans- transformational. And hopefully the conversation that Brett and I have today will give you some insight into some of the gifts he has and some of the things that, that you may learn from him uh, at that particular event. So, Brett, welcome to Shift. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Keith. I'm I'm excited to spend some time with you today. So yeah, it, it'd just be fun just to talk. I love just. We've had a couple times where we've just chatted about some life things, and I always enjoy our conversations. So yeah, I appreciate that. I I feel the same way, and I'd like to start if we could just tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us your story. You know, you you run a you run a tech company still, I believe. And tell me all about what, how you got there, live in Wyoming, Jackson Hole, you got a bunch of kids. I, I have, yes, I have, I have a blended family. So, so you, you got me beat as far as just um, you, in having eight of your own kids, but I have a, um, I have 13 kids. My wife had seven girls and I had four, four boys and two girls of my own. So I've got nine girls, which is that's like 25 kids just having nine girls. <laughs> it is. I have six daughters and I a hundred percent would agree to that. Right. So, um, and, um, but, but I've, I, yeah, I, I grew up in Arizona and have, you know, I've gone through the, I've gone through a lot of phases. I have my life. I've got, I, I kind of break my life into lives. And so when I talk a lot of times, I'll talk about my first life, 
I was you know, I was a computer programmer and and kind of did the whole just you know got completely infatuated with success and and traveling all over the world and doing big projects and and trying to um, prove out that I was smart and that I was capable and could provide and 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 so then I. I've sold, I've sold my, I've sold a couple of businesses and, and made money and done that. And then I've gotten into some of the, um, I, I started consulting. So I've been, I've done a lot of, my second life was more of sharing things with people and observing people and being more, uh, less focused on proving myself and more focused on learning what made other people tick. And, and I've, I've kind of been moving into a third phase right now. I don't know how to define, but my I'm uh, my best word for it is probably a like a legacy phase. It's it's my mm. most of the projects that I do right now. I measure them against. So what's the impact this will have on the world on the planet um, after I'm gone? And I'm not planning on leaving anytime soon, but I'm starting to just move into that. What what am I leaving behind? Um, phase of life and 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 so I and it, it really changes the whole paradigm of what I focus on and where I choose to spend time so really um, do, do you think that legacy conversation or question for you comes with age not saying that you're old just wondering if that's like or is it after you've accomplished or achieved certain things and you realize that maybe those things aren't like as fulfilling as because you've done some pretty cool stuff yeah, I think it's both. And I think it's, I've done enough cool stuff to know that when, when everything boils out, I have done, you know, and I've done cool stuff in lots of different categories. So I've done some really cool stuff financially and I've done some, some really cool stuff making a difference with people. And at the end of the day, the, the financial stuff just, just kind of fades off. It seems like over time it, uh, and, and the people stuff just keeps coming back around and that, grows and they go out and do some great things. And I can kind of say, now I had a, I had a little piece of that because the shift that they made that when I was working with them or doing things with them is now translating into bigger things and them influencing people and it, and, and, and those things continue to grow and the money side of stuff tends to just slowly dissipate, you, you know, and, and, and so I don't know, I have, so part of it is age. So, so I'm for the first time, I, I mean, I, I'm 58 years old. Um, or I turned 58, I guess this month. And so, and I, I sit and scratch my head because 58, the number sounds really old to me. I don't feel that way. I don't, I, I feel, you know, I'm, I'm young. I do all kinds of crazy stuff still and go up and do crazy things up in the mountains and, 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 and then there's still a lot of times when I, you know, my brain thinks I'll go out and play basketball and my brain will think, you know, okay, here's the move. And, and my leg <laughs> and body don't quite, they, they're not cooperating, but it doesn't, doesn't go down the way I, I see it in my head and the way I used to experience it. And so yeah. I'm, I, I'm having this reality check of, of my own mortality and, and it's, and it is, it, it's starting to, to cause me to say, all right, you know, I don't know whether I have, 10 years left or, or whether I have 20 years left, but, but there's this, 
and the years seem to fly by. That's that's the thing actually that really changes for me is it seems like Christmas comes every month now. It's, it's <laughs> I just keep saying I can't believe we're at Christmas time again. I can't yeah. believe we're 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 in the second quarter of 2021. I'm still writing 2019 on checks. Yeah, it's I it's missed crazy. all of 2020, right? Yeah, it, it certainly does. I know I I I'll be 47 this year. And my kids will not stop reminding me that I'm almost 50. And and so I'm old to them now. And what's interesting is I had a friend of mine yesterday who he and I were having a conversation. He talked about his dad sent his son a photo of like his dad and his granddad went in the, from the 50s. And, I, and he was really just kind of amazed at how old that photograph was. And I thought, well, that's only like 40 years ago. And then I had to do the math and go, wait, no, that's like 70 something years ago. Because for me, like I'm perpetually 18. It's still 1995. Like I'm, it's not that far away. Cause I'm the same way. I feel like, you know, get on the mountain bike, we go hit the trail and then I come home and go, Oh wait, I'm not 25 anymore. It's not the same. My, my son was a few years back. My, I was talking with my, my youngest son and I was filling out some paperwork and, and I said, wait, what year were you born? Were you born in 2005 or 2006? And he, and he said, 2000, he said, 2005. And I said, okay. I said, that, that makes, that's, that's what I thought. I mean, I, I just didn't want to do the math on the years. And, and, and then he said, what were your year were you born? And I said, I was born in, in 1963. And he looked at me and he said, I didn't know it went back that far. <laughs> like, 19 like in the 1900s you were born back in the 1900s it's like yep yeah it is it's flying by I would definitely agree with that I think having a lot of kids and a lot of in some ways responsibilities adds to that like when you're doing and, and especially for me like I do what I love so it's there's always some more to do there's always things that I want to do and I think because of that, it just kind of flies by, you know, like, yeah. I'm sure people who are in jobs that they think are miserable or things that they don't enjoy are probably thinking, oh, no, this is a drag. This is taking way too long to get to the next phase. But yeah, I just think it's, um, I think about my legacy a lot. We think a lot about generational healing. And I think a lot about how to raise my kids in a way that they're going to go out and, and create additional positive change right mm-hmm. and so it's interesting because we've reached a, a place in like our business where we're good and we can still build and grow but we've kind of gotten to a place where it's like okay what's the next thing because it isn't money so I love that you brought that up because so many people are thinking about how do we make so much more money how do we do this how do we do that that's the metric for success and and in my experience it's great it's just not fulfilling it offers me time freedom which is what I really, really want, like to have the time to clear my schedule, take my kid to the dentist if I need to, you know, go to the soccer games, go to the, you know, whatever it is, because those are the things that when we reach the end of our time, whatever that is, that we're going to remember way more than the board meeting. Right. Yeah. We, there's a, there's a lot more legacy. I mean, there's some version of legacy that comes with, finances it's it'd be nice to leave kids with something just to help them out but but that's not the big those aren't the big legacies um and and especially you know like heck, my kids are doing way better than i did so they're 
Yeah. Um, I've, I've got kids already that they, they make lots more money than I've ever made. And they've got, you know, great careers. And it's, it, that's, that's it, mind boggling to me that I've got, you know, we've got kids that are professionals and doctors and dentists and business owners and, 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 and that it's like, wow, I'm getting old. I, I mean, <laughs> they're they're not like kids anymore so i yeah i call my kids i call my oldest son all the time with for business advice and it's and and i i'm a pretty seasoned business guy and yeah and there's a lot of stuff that just completely eludes me that he's he's mastered and we get into the social media and into you know marketing it's just changed a lot so much stuff has changed yeah so that's a really cool thing and that's I think that's a really great example of like humility to be able to call your kid and say, Hey, help me out with this. Walk me through this. Cause like our son, my oldest boy is 21 and I, my wife and I have not been the best financial managers. You know, we came, we brought, we brought a lot of old habits that, that, that probably weren't the best. And so we've worked in our adult lives to correct some of those things and really kind of help our children grow into smart money managers understand it's a tool and help them like do as I say not as I did because right. we didn't do like I learned these at 35 not 17 and so one of my daughters came to me the other day she's starting to save her allowance and wants to save her money she's like what do you think is the best way and I said you know what you should call your brother because he's doing a much better job than I did and he'll be able to help you and he was just amazed that I would like pass that off and not I was like dude I you're crushing it. Like you're doing a great job. And I think a lot of parents don't like to, it's, it's an interesting dynamic. You see a lot of parents who get frustrated or their egos get in the way when their kids start to do better than them, or they want to like leave the old neighborhood or they want to, you know, I'm really proud. I'm really proud of my kids and, and I'm, I'm happy, happy for them. Yeah. And I know that they're going to have some crashes and burns as well. And, and I look forward to those because those were, you know, on the backside of those, those end up being great experiences because they, yeah. they make you, they're the things that kind of force you to reprioritize and, and get clear about what's important, what you like and what you, what, yeah. what you want to do. So um, I, I'm, yeah, I, I don't see my role as trying to protect them from life's pains and, life's lessons I it's I, I I give them any advice I can but but I I'm really confident they're smart and capable and that they'll figure stuff out so yeah that, in my mind that's the best thing I can do as a parent is just raise raise kids that f- can figure stuff out and, and yeah. then, you know as life happens that I, I know they'll 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 figure yeah. It out yeah I'm learning that now our our son had a a bit of a situation he got into and you know when we heard about it we were like okay how can we help what can we do and he kind of was like i got this i'm good i'm like are you sure and he's like I- i'm good it's like if i need you i will reach out and it was awesome and it was like oh okay and it's time for me to to back off and let him do his thing and and trust in that process and i love that you said you look forward to them crashing because it is where the growth happens it is where the bet, like we could tell them everything we know, but they have to experience it to some extent on their own. Well, you know, the, the training thing that you went through with me, um, it's, it's funny because one of the, one of the things is people are taking inventory of their life and they're really taking a hard look at things. And, and one of the questions that I get asked all the time is, is so 
what can I do so my kids don't have to experience the pain that I experienced? And, and what, what, what can I do? Is, is that even preventable? And it's like, I, I don't know whether or not it's preventable or not. I don't think it is. Um, and, and if I could make, wave a magic wand and take that away from people, I would never do that because it's, because that's the, that's the good stuff of life. That's the, where the lessons and the, it's, it's where, it's where we get our power to later on to have empathy and compassion and, and be able to relate to folks. And if we just coasted through life without ever crashing, um, yeah. We'd have a false sense of what other people, I mean, we wouldn't relate to others for sure. Yeah. We'd be the only one. We'd be the only one who had done that. Yeah. Right? There's a great quote that I'm sure I'll butcher from one of the Stoic philosophers. And it, it relates to that where they says, you know, when something happens to you, be grateful that it happened to you and that you were able to handle it and that you were able to move through it and, and feel bad for the people that have never been tested because they don't know what they're made of. And and that resonates with me because even in the middle of things, like it hurts, it's tough, it's hard, it's it's not fun. And in my experience, every time I've leaned into those challenges, I come out on the other side better for it. Maybe a little scarred, but there's 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 growth, and it is empowering to understand that you're capable, right? Like that's such a gift, and. You know, you talk about legacy, and it's funny to me because I think you've probably impacted more people in a very direct way than most people I know. Like, how many people do you think have been through? I'm sure you've probably done the math at some point, and then you just said, well, it's more than I can count. It's probably 12,000 or so that have been through the, the programs that I teach. Yeah. yeah. And so. that, I mean, that's huge. That's the ripple effect on that because I can tell you that coming out of that event, the 10 people that lived in my household at the time are better for it. And <laughs> the people that they interact with are better. Like the ripple in that. So that 12,000 is like, you know, a million people that are impacted in a tremendously way. So I, I have a lot of people. So, you know, that, that want me to go do stuff with them or do it or, you know, talk or be on, be at advance. And, and I'll, so I'll just share with you. So I, going through that event with you and, and, and watching. So you talk about, you know, taking things on and, and dealing with things and, and watching you do that and uh, watching you break some records and stuff. And I, uh, um, when it's, it's because of that actually that when I get an email from you saying, Hey, do you want to, would you come in and do this thing with me on this podcast? Um, it's, it's that that earned, that earned, when you ask me to do stuff, it's like, I'm in, I'm in. Cause I know you go, I know you go all out, all in right through the middle of stuff and you don't sidestep things. And so, um, and I have massive respect for people that are, um, as Brene Brown would say, I have massive respect for people that are in the arena. Yeah. Uh, and so, and, and yeah, you're one of those guys. So that's why I'm. Well, I appreciate that. And, and, and my kids, thank you. <laughs> And my wife, thank you. <laughs> I was I was lucky enough to experience that with my wife, um, but yeah, my entire family is is grateful for. And there are times where things in my household will happen uh, that are maybe less than than ideal, uh, mm -hmm. either either with my own kids or in relationships that they're in. And 
somebody will look over and they'll be like, so I got to go to BU too, huh? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Like, yeah, someday. I mean, I left there knowing that I would have to send my kids because there's so many things that we try to do and we try to, we, we try to minimize the, the, the damage. Right. But the yeah. reality is that I have no control over how they perceive or how they receive what happens. And so at the end of the day, we all got to do our own work. And, right. and it's one of the most important things, you know, <laughs> I think. And so I want to talk about, um, cause you brought up Brene Brown and yep. we had the opportunity to, to work on something we can talk about when we, we met in Utah with, with, a, about a dozen other people and did a real intimate little uh, round table. Rumble. Yeah. Yeah. And we rumbled on Brene Brown stuff and there was a tool in there that you talked about. And I was wondering if, if, if you remember this and you can share about it um, and you guys called it turning away. And, and I think from a couples and relationship and, and vulnerability space, it's a really great tool. And I was wondering if, if I could convince you to share that with us. The, I mean, the concept there was that, that, you know, when we, when we avoid our vulnerability, when we avoid our truth, our, our, what's really going on. And when we sidestep it, what, what we end up doing is we end up turning away from other people. And there's these critical moments in conversations um, and, and often even just in the relationship as a whole where, where we have this choice and we, we know it, we see it where we can either, we got this thing inside and it's eating at us or it's, it's bugging us, or we have this insecurity that scares us to death. And, and, and rather than, rather than turn towards the person, which is in vulnerability to me is, is when we turn towards and, and we, we just lean into the other person, we trust them. We, we say, all right, well, here, here's what's going on. And, and then turning away is when we deny it or push it aside or turn it back on them or deflect or all the, all the kind of coping mechanisms that, and, and when we turn away, we, we lose our ability to resolve the situation. We reserve the, our ability, we lose our ability to grow from it. Um, we, we lose our ability to take the relationship deeper and choose a, a way more shallow path. And, and so when we recognize those, those critical moments, cause, cause, and, and they're, and what what's makes them stand out is that they are there's this there's this moment that's like okay do I want to go here or not and then we make conscious choices and mm-hmm. say I don't want to I, I I I'm just gonna I'm gonna deflect or cry or get emotional or do things that just that kind of um, keep things shallow and and just hold it inside I just I'm gonna just keep it inside I don't know if that's what you're talking about that, that conversation. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's the choice, right? I feel like the way, the way we presented it was sort of, you know, when you go to bed at night and how, how you and your spouse are upset at each other and do you sleep back to back and on the edges, you know, like you got that king size mattress and who can get closer to the edge from each other. Right. And you know, what's crazy is a lot of couples will say, well, we don't go to bed mad, but that doesn't mean that they, they don't go to bed turning away. You know, did you get to a resolution? Are you really close to one another? And that Carrie and I have really implemented that. And I think the thing that's super important in that is that it's a choice. 
I mean, we've we've had we've been married 23 years, been together for 25. So we've been through all the things and and I know that there's more to come. <laughs> and just in that moment when you're like, I can't believe she said that. I can't believe she did that to make the choice and to go. She is she is my wife. She's my partner. I'm turning toward that. It, it is really just such a it's a choice. And there's times in my own head where I've been like, turn in. <laughs> like I have to tell myself, even though I'm like, I really don't want her. I know it's not what I want to do. Right. Um, even even with this, all the stories we make up about no, but it's more comfortable. I'm more comfortable laying over on my right side, and I can't. <laughs> and, and and we have all these. It's not that. It's not that I'm turning away. It's just I'm. Yeah. But it is that you're turning right. Yeah. There's a time when you're turning when when you're turning away, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it's uncomfortable, and we have to be. We have to get used to being uncomfortable. Uh, we had a, a situation recently where, you know, Carrie was having feelings about things and struggling with some stuff. And I, I didn't have, didn't feel like I had the capacity to be there for her. And I had to be really conscious about, I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to listen and I'm going to let her cry. And <laughs> I'm not going to get on my phone. And I'm not going to do the other things that, in my head, I really want to, right? And and so I think people have this mythology that like the people who listen or the people that are always present are just good at it. Like, I'm just not good at it. And it's not true. You choose in. I, you touched on something that's really key right now. You know, you know one of the greatest gifts you can ever give a, a, another human being in this day and time is to turn off your phone. There's something profound about having a conversation and and just doing something that simple that says i want to send the message you know you're the, the current generation might not even they might not realize there was a time that if you weren't sitting at home in your house people could not get a hold of you i mean yeah. when you left in, in you know for the day you would go all day long and no one could call you or do anything and and that and the only time you could talk to someone is if you were within like 12 feet, however long that curly cord thing would be. <laughs> yep. That was your distance where you could talk yeah. to someone that wasn't standing in front of you. Yeah. And, and we've lost something in, in this trying to juggle 500 things all at once, you know, with some, with these devices. And it is, um, I don't know that anything makes me feel more important than having someone else reach over and and not even come in with their phone turned off reach over and say i'm going to turn my phone off for this conversation i want yeah. i want to be fully present and they turn it off and turn it over and and it's like even the difference between leaving your phone face up and face down yeah uh, when it's turned off is it it, it it really does make a big difference yeah right? it does how many hours you don't strike me as the kind of guy that was maybe talking on the phone a whole lot when you were a kid but you, when you see the kids that that were curled up by the kitchen by the oven because that was as far as their phone would go <laughs> they were right. around the right. they were on the other side of the wall right they right, just right right so that, that's how you got privacy is you had to yeah. take the cord around the wall right yeah and there's that little divot in the carpet because your sister sat there for 12 hours <laughs> talking right. to her boyfriend um yeah i remember when i was a kid i mean i grew up in las vegas and so you know you grew up in arizona both desert desert parts of the world and I mean, we spent hours in the desert without phones, without parents, without, I mean, 
I look back now and it's like, I would never let my kid go oh. for that extended period. And then I go, well, I turned out okay, I think. What was <laughs> Yeah, I I can think of all kinds of things I did as a kid that I would be arrested for if I let my kids do the same. Right. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I remember driving up on. I remember laying on the front dashboard at times while we were driving, and sitting on my dad's lap on the freeway, and like yeah. he would let me steer the car on yeah. the freeway as a three-year-old. Um, and and you know. How do we make it? How do we get out alive? I have no idea. Yeah, my sister used to sit on the floorboards of the Toyota Celica while we were drinking because we had there was three of us and we had a four seat car, and so they just put her on the floorboard in the right. front row in the front seat, and it was just that's just what we did, you know. And yeah, it's crazy how things have shifted in in today's world. What um, what are your like big thoughts on that? If if you you want to go there, because I know you know, you kind of tend to stay out of the political world or out of the, you know, all the muck and the noise. And most of the stuff that I see you share is, is pretty positive. And, and you just had a really cool experience that, you know, it's kind of your Facebook story for a long time that I want to dive into. But I'm curious what you think about, like, what's happening culturally? Like, and how do you think we maybe course correct that? Um, I have... You know, it depends on which lens I'm looking through. So as a parent, I have massive concerns. I have concerns about my kids. I, 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 I see how much screen time they spend and we do things to try and curb it. But it's, it's just, it's like, wow. Yeah. How old are your kids that are still home? Um, I have a, uh, well, we got two 15-year-olds and a 19-year-old. Um, so, um and they're they're so home but, but and then at various times we've got other kids that are home for a little bit and and yeah then it's just you know the the lack of 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 exercise the lack of outdoors um the lack of of social dynamics i i i hate i hate that you can just hit a button and unfriend someone and block people and do that and they they I hate that they're learning that that's how you resolve things. And if you don't like what mm. someone says or thinks you could just, you turn them, you can turn them off. I, I think that that's um, devastating for our society. I'm, you know, I don't get super political, but I'm no matter where you sit on Trump and on politics, I, I find it massively disturbing that we're, that we're silencing people that, you know, and and I think it's important that, and and I would say that about, you know, if if I knew that they were blocking some white supremacist on Facebook, I'd be like, you just can't. Who's you can't arbitrate the ideas, and you got to let people do their own thing. And I have no problem with people saying, "Man, I disagree with everything you're saying," and and or or, or not reading or watching stuff that they don't like or want to see but but i have i have a problem when we start making choices for people and 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 we limit i, I think at some point that comes back to bite us yeah and, and you know I, th I think it's important that people work through seeing things and seeing the issues and so yeah i i, I have actually pretty strong feelings i i'm terrified and i i can watch even just in you in the gap between your generation and my generation 
there's a gap in, in people's ability to resolve conflict and resolve issues. And, and, and there's a, between your generation and, and, and your kids, um, there's a massive, massive gap. And, and, and I, I watch how it's translating into business now. I still work with big companies, have tons of employees, and I watch the challenges they're having with these 20-year-olds and even 30-year-old folks that are coming in and they have they have no ability to deal with conflict and disagreement mm-hmm. and they take offense at everything. It's like get over it. It's you're not the arbiter and, and you getting offended doesn't do anything for anybody. That just you yeah. Know. Yeah, it's really tricky. I've been doing a lot of reflecting and conversations around like cancel culture and the idea that you know, this opinion or this thought or this thing is, is so invalid that it shouldn't exist. And it's, it's really hard for me to wrap my head around it because, you know, I don't get as mad at Facebook or social media companies for censoring because they're companies, they're private entities, they can do what they want. And we get to make the choice to go, well, I'm just not going to participate in that game. And I'm going to go somewhere else. I, I don't think it's right. I don't agree with it. I, I tend not to get very, upset about it though because it's like well you signed up for it and you didn't build it and so they get to do what they want and and at the same time as those things become monoliths it becomes hard to compete against them and so i'm really in this gray area where like i I don't know what to do or what to think other than like i'm really all about proximity right now and raising like modeling behavior for my kids like if that bothers you let's talk about why it's if it frustrates you and you know even in our business where we do a lot of coaching and mentoring people will reach out to us and say well this happened or that happened and we're like okay great conversation's over until we can get everybody on the phone (laughs) and we can work it out together and I'm surprised at how many times people go yeah I know it's not that big a deal I'm like no it is it is a problem it is a challenge but they don't know how to talk to one another about it. They don't know. And, and they're so afraid to actually converse and like resolve the conflict. They'd rather just go do something else or let it be or deal with it, which is really the opposite of dealing with it. Um, right. Yeah, no, I, so I, yes, I'm, I'm massively concerned on a business from the business perspective, people who can figure out how to, how there, there's going to be a massive need for, for, um, coaching and, um, and like someone intervening later on in life to say, all right, I know you and your boss don't see eye to eye and you're like on the war path. Um, it's really not a big deal. And, and, and let's, let's, I'm going to teach you some things that you're going to think are, are just miraculous that our generation, we couldn't have survived past seven without learning these, these skills. And, and interesting. yeah it it is definitely uh it's definitely good for the coaching business and the therapy counseling (laughs) hopefully it's not great for the pharmaceutical business which i'm afraid that it will be (laughs) because that's how most people uh tend to to manage their their things right um yeah it's it's kind of crazy i i hope that and that's kind of part of the reason why this podcast was launched was so many things that have benefited me and helped me in my in my journey, right? Overcoming, you know, drinking and and holding our marriage together, which early on was very much my wife's doing. Um, 
I was, I was lucky enough that she didn't sign the papers and <laughs> gave me space to work through my stuff. And I just think that like so many people now are like almost all of our friends are divorced or they're, you know, in really, really tough places. And so part of this was really the, launching this podcast. Um, I've sort of referred to myself at times as an unwilling participant because I just, I don't know what I'm doing hundred percent. It's a super <laughs> fresh and new for me, but I feel like it's something I have to do. Right. And I hope that it helps someone achieve something new and fresh for them. And, and so having people like you that, that have those gifts of, of bringing things like back down to reality is, is really, uh, I'm really grateful for, for that because hopefully this will help some people in the future go, Oh, maybe I do need to just not worry about it. Right. And it sounds kind of condescending. I've had some people I've talked to where I'm like, you know, you could just let that go. And they get so mad at the idea that like, they could just have no opinion about it. <laughs> they could just let it be like, it can't be that simple. What if, but, 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 and, and, so do you have some advice on how to just let it go? Well, so there's two. So letting it go is like one, one extreme. I'm not sure that that's the answer either. I, I think our answers um, is that people need to own their voice and their insights and we need to share, but we also need to, we need to listen as well. And if everybody is hmm. sharing and listening, because, because just biting your tongue or, and not, not contributing your insights, that that exacerbates the problem as well. And and so for me, it's just, you know, I so I have this really interesting, um, if, you, if you got a few minutes, I'll, I'll give you a full interesting layout philosophy here. Yeah, I got all the time in the world. <laughs> so one of the things, I have a version of, of uh, diversity, and inclusion that's a little bit different than what most people teach. And it's, you know, it starts with kind of a four premise, you know, there's four places that we can approach this situation from the, and the first place is from conflict, which we see a lot of right now. That that's the, the cancel culture. It's like, yeah, screw you. I'm not, I'm blocking you. I'm not, I'm not listening. And, and we go to war with people who have different ideas than we have. And, and, and we're not, you know, we're not at war over Nazi stuff. We're, over, we're at war over, over things like healthcare. And that, like, that's not a war topic. That's, that's, a, that's a, no matter where you stand on the issue, it's, it certainly is an issue that warrants discussion and, and people struggling with health is a, is a, it's a big deal, you know? And, yeah. and, and it is an issue about, do, I mean, and how we pay for it and what we can pay for and, and what people are accountable and how does that fit into the equation? And if someone, you know, weighs 400 pounds and they don't eat and take care of themselves, well, should I have to, I mean, there's a lot of good questions there, yeah. right? Yeah, and, 100%, yeah. Um, and, and so we're, we're not, I mean, we're canceling over stuff that, that isn't like way out of bounds and left field. It's, it's. They're all mainstream, hardcore issues, right? Um, and and so, but the first level is is uh, is open conflict, which we see a lot of. The second level, it's a lot of people talk about, but it's usually a veiled open conflict. The second level people deal with it is in with tolerance. So so they don't like it, 
they, they, but they, they work on just tolerating it, which is kind of the biting your tongue and I'm not sure. going to say anything and I'm not going to openly, but, but, but then I, but we're still passive aggressive and we still, you know, we still have our little barbs and jabs and the whole time that someone else is talking, we're thinking you're an idiot. I'm going to tolerate you because, because that's what I'm supposed to do. Because I'm supposed to. Yeah. I'm supposed to. The third level is acceptance. And, and, and a lot of people think that's like the highest level is when you can just accept someone and their ideas. The thing that I'm challenged by with that word is that it, to, when you're accepting someone, when you say, well, I'm going to just accept them um, for who they are, you're, you're, what you're really saying is there's something unacceptable about them. And I am, because otherwise I would need to accept them. There's something unacceptable that I am going to overlook or, or bypass. And it still brings that judgment with it that, that is a little bit kinder than tolerance, but, but not okay. much. Um, and because the only thing we have to accept is the unacceptable. <coughs> right. Interesting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, and then there's a fourth level. And I think it's the kind of the solution, which the fourth level of engagement with that is, is embracing where it's like, not only do I accept it, but I don't want it to change. I don't want you to change. I want you to bring all of who you are and all of the differences and all the, all the quirkiness and, and goofiness and, and brilliance. And I want you to bring all of it. And I, I don't want you to change anything because, because, because I know that the, the overall fabric and texture is, is prettier um, and it's, it's more effective when we include all of that. And, and I love you just exactly how you are. I don't, there's not any part of you that I need to change or accept. And I wouldn't want to, if I could. Right. And, and so, you know, from the stuff that you, I don't know if I've explained it that way, but from the stuff that I do and teach that, that I kind of engage like that in life, I don't have a lot of, um, um, in fact, when I find myself, so, so I found some tools, I found some really quick catches. So when I find myself in disagreement or, or thinking, you know, the, the most common thing that we think, so the triggers for me are, I think, yeah, you don't see the big picture. That's one of my big go-to or, mm-hmm. um, uh, or, or you don't understand, or I'm, I'm, I'm smarter than you. Uh, I mean, those, those two kinds of conversations if I catch myself having those, I immediately flip them and say, wait a second, maybe I don't see the big picture. Maybe I don't, maybe I'm the one who's missing something. So it's, you know, you don't see the big picture, you're missing something. And so I turn that around. So I've, in my life, I've adopted this thing that I call my two question rule. And mm-hmm. it has been profound and life-changing for me. So when I find myself disagreeing or, you know, and it could be in almost any situation, I start with saying, Brett, you're probably missing something here. And so before I ever make a judgment or determination, I ask two questions. My first question is always, you know, what you're saying makes no sense at all to me. I, I, I don't understand it. I, don't, I totally disagree with it. Tell, tell me what I'm missing. What am I missing here? And, and I ask, and I really want to know. I really want to know. Yeah. And, and most of the time, they proceed to tell me exactly what I'm missing. And it's like, dang, okay. You're right. I totally, I did not see it from that perspective at all. Um, and then my second question is, is, is simply a check on the first question, which is I have to ask them one more question 
to dig deeper before I'll even comment or share my ideas when, I, when I'm in judgment. And so my second question is usually it revolves around what they, how they answered the first question. So, okay. usually, so, so are you saying, are you saying this, you know, I, uh, here's an example. I had a, I owned a software company at one point and I had a, one of my frontline people that, that, you know, was making at the time, probably eight bucks an hour. One of my customer service people, they came and they said, if you wanted to get, I'm getting better at this. I'm still not great at it. But if, 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 uh, if you want to totally have me checked out of a situation in, in judgment, um, if you start by, hey, hey, you know what you should do? You're right? <laughs> That's Carrie. That's my wife. Yeah. The, the yep. second that they start that, I'm already on the defense. Yeah, you're already out. It's like, dude, you're, you make seven bucks an hour. So it's like, you know, if I found this company, you know what, you know what I think you should do with this company? And I had this person seven bucks an hour, and 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 it's like, I'm already, I'm just. I'm, I'm ready, ready to argue with them because it's like, dude, that's why you don't own this company because you, you, you're make seven bucks an hour and I own a company with 75 employees and you're not going to tell me anything that I haven't already done or thought of. And it's what, right. what you're about to say is stupid. You may not have even said it and I already know it's stupid. Right. And, and I had an employee once that told me, you know, what we should do, we should give our software. I sold pest controls. I have a, I had a company that was the biggest pest control software company in the world. doesn't take much to be the biggest pest control software company in the world. <laughs> right. But we were, we were a good sized company and, and, you know, had like 75 employees. And he said, I think you should give the software away for free. And, and these guys, they, people love our support. And he was a support person. He said, I think people would just pay more for support and we could make our money off of support. And I said, dude, you're an idiot. I mean, what you don't understand business. I'm thinking you're you're completely retarded about business. You 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 can't give stuff away for free. I mean, um, you know, and and it was back in in um, yeah the early kind of the early stages of the internet. We hadn't quite figured it out, and and it was like, man, you know, you're sounding like some of those other companies that are just like make no sense. Their business model makes no sense. They're just they do stuff for free. They let you like search yep. things for free, like that Google company or whatever. Yeah, yeah that right? silly little Google. <laughs> <laughs> that silly little Google and the Facebook thing where you just sign up and it doesn't, they don't charge you anything. It's like, what? It, that's stupid. Yeah. That is completely ridiculous, that thought. And 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 now you look at how they even bill for, for like Microsoft, you know, 365 and all. most software now is all the SaaS model. And what he was describing was SaaS was you know software as a service yeah and, and yeah you had to forego the short term you know charging charging a million dollars for your software um, but but you could charge you know you could charge fifty thousand dollars a month for the the support on it and and you'd end up making a lot more money in the long run and and to, I thought that's the dumbest idea ever uh, at the time and 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 I. I said, you know, in that point in time, because I had this two question rule, even back then. And, and it's like, okay, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And I, I remember I, I started my response to him was, okay, that sounds like the dumbest thing I've ever heard from a business perspective. Tell me what I'm missing. And he went on to explain and I said, okay, wait a second. So you're saying that you, what, what I, 
actually translated to, which was profound for me. At the time, I'm selling software and about 10% of my revenue came from customer service. Mm-hmm. And he said, I said, what, so what you're really saying to me is that um, our software is excluding us from getting as many customers as we can, but people would pay a lot more for our service than what we're charging. Is that what you're saying? He said, yeah, that's what I'm saying. And I totally missed the whole part about changing the price of our initial software. Mm-hmm. But I said, okay, well, I'm going to look at the service thing because that's an interesting idea. Let's test that. And it, and it sounded stupid to me still, but I said, I don't really know the answer. And so, and our company went from about a million to in revenue to about 10 million over the next year. And about 60% of our revenue came from training and, and customer service because because I, I entertained this nonsense for just a little bit, right? And, yeah. and, and, and I asked some questions and, and this $7 an hour person's, their insights, they saw a different angle to things than I did because they were on the phones doing customer service with people. And yeah. they're like, man, they love our service. They love it. They would, we're not charging them enough for it. That's really what he was saying. He didn't, yeah. he didn't have an epiphany about the whole SaaS thing, but he, what he was describing was that. Yeah, right. he saw something. He just didn't articulate it in that major way. But there's a ton of humility in being able to say, that sounds really stupid, but tell me more, right? Like there's a ton of vulnerability in going, I think that's the dumbest thing ever. And I'm going to give you more time to convince me it's not. Well, and I'm going to ask a specific question. So the, the format of the question is actually, I stumbled onto that, but the format of the question is genius because because. I have to open my mind just enough to say, okay, I'm probably missing something. And that wasn't super offensive to me. I didn't like missing something wasn't the worst thing. If I said, Brett, you're probably an idiot. So you should listen. That would be a lot harder to get yourself, your head wrapped around that. But the the idea that, well, maybe there's something I'm missing. So before I jump right into judgment, I'm going to give them a chance to tell me what that is. And And it surprises me how often, you know, there's still sometimes that when they tell me what I'm missing, it's like, all right, I wouldn't miss any of that. I, I think you're an idiot. <laughs> but, but probably 80% of the time, 80% of the time, it's like, oh, you know what? I hadn't really thought about that. That's an interesting, that's an interesting yeah. angle. And, and often what's funny is I don't land where they're at. But I move off of where I'm at, and I and I and I'm, I'm in this little room, and I think I see everything. And all they do is they show me this door, and all of a sudden I'm standing in this big arena that, and it's like, oh my gosh, I was yeah. totally missing thing, and it wasn't even what they were talking about. But it's those it's those brief moments of being completely open, yeah, that allow us to take these massive leaps into something, you know, and 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 the conversation might not be where it's like, I totally agree with you now, but we'll have this back and forth where both of us just explode our arts. We just, you know, both people in the conversation now are in this whole new playing area that. Yeah. That's the miracle part. And it's amazing. I mean, in the times that I've done that, Carrie has taught me something similar. Uh, And I think you and I had had a conversation about those questions before, because I, this last political season, uh, (laughs) was was challenging for me and and I really tried to and I think I was successful in in a lot of ways but I really tried to try to look at it through the lens of 
I just don't understand. Right. And so if I could come at it from a place of trying to seek understanding and I had a very similar conversation with my daughter about tolerance and acceptance, because I was like to tolerate someone means you're just putting up with them. And that didn't feel good to me. Like, I don't want to tolerate a family member or a friend or, you know, a a whole section of the culture. I don't want to just tolerate them. And I had sort of landed on acceptance, but you said something that was really, really interesting that accepting someone means that there was something unacceptable. And I hadn't thought about that. Like I hadn't, I hadn't really drilled down deep enough on the, on that word. And, and I'm a big fan of like words have meaning. And so thinking through what does that really mean? So I love the idea of embracing because that for me takes it back to what does love require of me, which is, you know, sort of, it kind of gets into the, into religion or church, but like Jesus said, you know, love people the way that I loved you. And so we often operate from that place of like, what does love require of me? And, and the embracing piece, like you kind of, you kind of hit on that. Like I need to embrace you and there's nothing that I want to change about you. Well, and, and, and it's the G that is the Jesus thing is because, because that's, that's how, that's the whole power of Jesus is that the way he loves us unconditionally. So we can screw stuff up. We can butcher things. We can, mm-hmm. we can do that. And, and he's like, Okay, I'm still there, dude. So, so whenever you, you know, I'll always be voting the highest vote. You just have to figure out what you're going to vote because because that's the that's the only voting question here, right? And 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 that's the embracing part is, you know, there's nothing you can do that's gonna or yeah. say that that makes it so I can't just love you and and think that you're smart. That yeah. Anyway, yeah, that's it. Yeah, no, that that's really great. I love that. I think it's super helpful. And I think in this time where people are so quick to cancel, where I've sort of landed is that, like, I don't understand. And what that means is that I'm the one that has the problem. I'm the one that needs to do the work, because you may understand perfectly what you're saying. I don't get it. So I need to do the work to try to to get closer to understanding and and oftentimes where i land is i don't know it all like i'm the idiot in the room right like i don't know everything there's so much more out there so it's here's easier part, for me to say the part to be careful of though the part to be careful of with that is is that your insights and your views aren't aren't stupid either so, so and that's where it's it's like um to be able to say Oh, there's all kinds of um, material here. <laughs> so, so to to walk in saying, "Hey, I'm right," is is, is problematic, right? It's mm-hmm. it, it, that's hard to walk in and say I'm wrong is problematic too, because your insights do matter. To walk in and say I'm, I'm miss I might be missing some things, so that the inf- the way I feel is based on partial information. Yeah. If I had, you know, it's what you said about, you know, when, in, in the corporate work that I do and someone is telling me, oh, this person did this and they said this almost without a doubt that the story has been bent and formed and shaped and I'm hearing part of it. And if I buy into the hearing a half of a story and run off and make judgments about what the other person's doing without hearing their, you know, because inevitably if I go say, okay, well, let, you know, let, I'm gonna, let's put a pin in that. I hear your story. I got it. 
I'm not saying it's true or not true. I, I want to talk to the other person though. And I want to talk to this and I'm, and I want to facilitate that. And when I can just go in and be open, I, when I hear the other side of the story, it's like, okay, that, this is making more sense and I can see and and almost always it's like okay so this person has accountability here and this other person has accountability here and they and they and it's it's rarely this person's wrong this person's right this person needs to get spanked and and punished and the other person gets to feel feel vindicated and right that's just not how it works that's not life right yeah and Yes, and so, but when you assume that the other person's smart, so so it starts for me with saying, I'm assuming, and it doesn't matter who they are, it doesn't matter whether it's the homeless guy on the street or whatever. I'm assumed that they're smart. There's something about them that's smart, and they've experienced things that I have not experienced. Mm-hmm. So they they've got some different perspectives, and those perspectives and insights, if I could find a way to add them into my viewpoints. And then I can reshuffle and, and make a new assessment. And I may stay with exactly where I was at. Right. But I also might, as I, add, and that's okay, because I'm smart too. And, and yeah. but, but usually as I reshuffle their information into my deck, I end up drawing a different hand than I, what I would draw otherwise. And I start saying, um, you know, I, I'll, I, I sat next to someone on a flight about three years ago and I was, I got upgraded to first class, which is always interesting because it's like, oh, maybe I'm going to meet somebody famous now in first class. And and I sat next to an Indian lady, the the red dot Indian mm-hmm. from from India, and she was in the full garb and had the red dot on her head. And I sat down in my seat, and I I hadn't sat there for a minute, and she started the conversation by saying, "Hey, um, so do you believe in reincarnation?" And I'm like. <laughs> Wow, it's going to be a long flight. Yeah, that escalated quickly. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we haven't even left. we haven't even backed out of the gate yet, and we're into reincarnation. And I and I'm like, <laughs> you know what? And and so I, I caught myself because I, I I found some judgments coming up. I was thinking I really don't want to be talking about reincarnation for this whole flight. And and it wasn't anything I'd even thought about. It's just like one of those in, in my mind at the time. It's one of those wacky goofy things that and so instead what i said is you know what i have not thought a lot about reincarnation i don't it's not even something that um i mean i think i i think i know where i'm at on it but i i don't really understand it i said why you guys believe in reincarnation right you you look i I think that i know that but i don't i'm not sure if i know that but since you asked the question i'm assuming you believe in that so tell me What's the thing that lights you up about that? What what am I missing about this whole reincarnation thing? And she talked for about 20 minutes about the beauty of, of, of moving through different and having experiencing life from lots of different perspectives and 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 the growth and and you know her version of of this eternal kind of progression thing through all these different ways of experiencing life. And and we got all done and she said, so what, I mean, does that make sense to you? And I said, you know what, here's what I believe. I, and it's, it's shifted talking to you. So I believe in a God that if it would ever serve me in my growth to experience what it felt like to be a dog, that 
the God I believe in would probably give me that experience. And, and I don't know if it's, if that's required or if that's what happens or not. I don't, I just, I'm not there yet, but, but I believe in a God that gives me all the experiences I need to make me the best I can possibly be. And it sounds like that. And she said, that's it. That's exactly it. And, and, and ever since then, I've never had a single, if someone asked me about reincarnation, it's like, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I do believe this and it, it, it helped redefine it, but I went from, uh, I don't really want, you know, this is goofy and I don't want to tell someone that I think it's totally goofy. Yeah. Um, and I went to thinking, <laughs> you know, that's a really powerful life perspective and I have complete respect and I totally get why someone could go hook, line and sinker in on that. I totally get it. That makes sense. Yeah. And, 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 and then I was good and she was good. And it, but it took that, that moment of, of like really wanting to know why are you so passionate about this such that somebody would sit down on the seat next to you on an airplane. And the first question out of your start mind, with that, <laughs> I mean, I am just curious because I wouldn't start off with my stuff about, you know, I wouldn't sit down with someone and say, Hey, so do you believe in Jesus? Yeah. I wouldn't, I just wouldn't start a conversation with that. And it's like, and you got to respect the passion, right? Yeah. You, you know, you got to, if I, if I ever had a chance to, to talk to a terrorist, it wouldn't, I wouldn't talk about how bad it is or whatever. I would, I'd be like, I'm so curious about, what what are what is what are you so passionate about such that you'd strap a bomb on your chest and that you'd like give your entire life to 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 the cause i i i am missing something yeah it's, yeah it sounds crazy to me and 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 but i'd love to hear your side of it. i mean that's what i would want to know and if if i knew that we could probably figure out the whole terrorism thing if we ask those kind of questions instead of the you know yeah you're right i'm wrong yeah and, and we should kill you before you kill us yeah it's like yeah it's a tricky i mean it's a tricky situation all of that and i love i think one of the reasons why i love you so much and i love talking to you is you have like the most genuine curiosity and this really great ability and i'm sure that it's something you've developed to be able to take that short breath and go hey um all the things in my head are telling me that you're crazy and i don't want to talk about this but what actually comes out of your mouth is, tell me more. Help me understand why that's how you started the conversation. Because that's a, a gift. It's a trained thing. It's, it is a completely trained, because I have, it's, I struggle with the conversation all the time. And there's times that, that, you know, there's times where my wife will be want to talk to me about something. And it's like, Calorie, you know where you're at on this issue. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> and, and, I just, and I just shut it down because... And so I, I'm not by any stretch perfect at this. For sure. I get that. I catch it a lot. And, and, and I do find myself, and, and I, fa- I find that I, I'm both judgmental and self-righteous and curious all at the same time. I'm all of those things. And I have to pick the curious one. I, I, I like have to sort through my different personalities. So it's and, a choice. <laughs> it is a choice. It is a choice. And it's funny because as soon as I ask the question, so the question for me forces me into the curiosity thing. And, and, and so the, the way I word the question is super important because I could ask it in a way that's kind of condescending and passive aggressive. And, sure. 
and and it, it actually gets you because you know that I'm super blunt, right? You you mm-hmm. from our experience, so like way way more direct and blunt than most people. And correct, and I say lots of hard things to people, um, but there's hard things that are mostly true. Yeah, and and, and so you know, I, I have the ability if I wanted to just to be passive aggressive and, 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 and say that, and I have this need to be honest with people that is, that's, that, that's a core part of who I am. So, so the way I ask the question actually gives me this ability to satisfy my need to tell them how stupid they are and to be open at the same time, which is, which is a really unique, I walk a really fine line. So when, when I can, I feel good being able to say, you know what, that's like the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Um, I, that makes me feel good. Cause, cause that's what I'm thinking. And then I say, tell me what I'm missing. So you and get to be that, honest. That opens this door. Yeah. Yeah. And it opens this door. And then I, and then I can just listen. I'm not placating them and I'm not, I'm told them, I think it's stupid. And I open the door though, to say, give me some more information that I'm missing. And, and when I do that, most of the time I get more information and, and, and then all of a sudden, then it's not work after that. Then it's like, wait a second. So what are you saying? And now I'm off and running in this whole new world that just because their information is unlocking some stuff for me. And, and, and then it doesn't take any work at all to sustain the conversation. It, the yeah. only thing, it, it only took work for that. The, the, the five seconds I spent asking the question. There's something really powerful in that though. And that you get to be totally authentic and genuine in saying, I think that's the stupidest thing ever. Right. And you get to honor them by saying and, and exercising like the vulnerability and the humility and going, tell me what I'm missing. Right. <laughs> and it reminds me of Brene Brown's clear as kind, unclear as aren't because you're clear. You're telling them, I think this is dumb. Yeah. Right. And, and I think there's a, you're right. There is a fine line because I'm, as I'm thinking, I just picture people out there going, Oh, well, Brett said we could just tell people they're stupid and, <laughs> and just, sharing what they feel and missing the nuance of like, cause you're also, you know, you're, you're a really charming guy. I mean, you're direct. I mean, you've, you've said some things to me, you know, in conversation, I've been like, Oh, uh, okay. And, and, but you're, you're a charming guy and you have an ability to build trust with people really quickly, I think. So when you do say something direct, um, it's often correct. <laughs> and so they're like, how did he know that that was, like the thing, right? So there is some balance there. So I just want, I don't want anyone out there just running around telling people they're stupid, you know, practice right. it. <laughs> Build follow, follow it up with, follow, follow it up with. So what, tell me what I'm missing. Cause maybe yeah. I'm stupid and yeah. maybe we're both stupid or maybe we're both brilliant, but, but yeah. it, you know, where I'm sitting right now, I, I'm only seeing half of it. Yeah. I'm seeing my side of the story and that's it. I want to hear your side of the story before I. Yeah. That's amazing. I have two more things that I really want to touch on if you have time. I do. Um, one of them is you shared with me that you keep an extra seat open in your vehicle. I, I do. It's, it's, and it's more than vehicle. So I, I, have a, I have a kind of a life philosophy. So, so this, was, this is a, one of my transitions being an old guy is I, I spent a lot of my younger life. I, my younger life, I probably spent a, a ton of time chasing things that, that were important to me without a lot of regard for anybody else. And as I moved into 
as I transitioned into making a difference with other people, um, I went into this frantic place of, of constantly trying to figure out where am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to be doing now? And, and I, I, it was the modern day version of, or the old day version of, of the modern day version of FOMO. Um, yeah, I was okay. always worried about being not being in the right place at the right time or saying the right yeah. thing. And, and I put tons of pressure on myself of, am I supposed to do this? Am I supposed to they invited me to speak at this conference? I really don't want to go, but maybe that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And it was, it was, and I, I about killed myself trying to be everywhere and, and do everything. And it was really hard work. Yeah. And, I think and a I, lot of people experience that. I know I've had seasons of <laughs> not and, saying and, no enough. I've moved into a place in, in life where I, I first pick the things that I want to do. And, and, and then in, in the things that I'm doing, I always just leave an empty seat. And so I live in Jackson hole and I love, I love spending time in the outdoors and going horseback riding and fishing. And, and I'm careful. I've got a drift boat with three seats. I always, I always, if I'm going to invite someone, I only invite one person. So if someone pops up in the last minute and says, Hey, I really want to spend some time with you. I want to talk to you. It's like, I don't have time to sit down and talk, but I'm, if you want to go fishing with me, you're welcome to sit in my drift boat or, you know, that we have a guest house and an apartment here that we Airbnb and I, and it's, and that's, that's an empty seat for us. So, so I have a, a deep belief that anybody who shows up here in our Airbnb, that there's a purpose, um, why they're in my life in my space right now. And I don't have to go chase them. They'll just come to me. I just need to make sure I've got an empty seat for them. And in my car, yeah, my, my passenger seats always cleaned off. And when I drive places, if I see a hitchhiker, it's like, oh, there's, that's a person for my empty seat. And I, I will pick up just about every hitchhiker I ever see. And I tell them when they get in my car, I say, all right, so you're sitting in my empty seat right now. And where are you going? Where are you headed to? And they'll tell me and I'll say, okay, well, that's 35 minutes away. So we've got 35 minutes to figure out why you're sitting in my car with me. And, and usually about three minutes in they're they're doubled over bawling their eyes out talking about something deep that, and, and, you, you have know, that effect on people. Huh? So do you have that effect on people, I, don't I, you? I do have that effect on people. But but I see life as as be, as coming, you know, if I'm out there and doing my thing, um, the people that I can need to influence and that I that there's things I need to, they come, they'll come to me. They'll 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 meet me instead of me have to go to them constantly. And the going to them part in retrospect was a lot more judgmental because I was going places to fix people and do things. And, and I was just constantly trying to force it. And now it's just like, now it's like a, just a puzzle. It's, huh, I yeah. wonder why you're here. And, and you're here for a week. So by the end of this week, I'll tell a guest at, at our Airbnb, at the end of this week, then we'll know why you came here and why you're staying here with us this week. Because there's something that you have to teach me or something that I, that I can teach you, but there's a yeah. purpose in you being here. I believe that. And, and when they leave, then one or both of us is always saying, Oh my gosh, I'm so glad that we had this time together. Um, Cause it's, it's it, you know, and you can play in those major, you kind of talked about that at the beginning. I don't tend to play lightly in people's lives. I'm usually um, there's probably thousands of people that if they said, Hey, give me the top five people where they, your interaction with them has, has made your life pivot. Um, 
I'll be on lots of those lists because because those are the places where I love playing, not the, you know, hey, we're yeah. really good friends or whatever. It's it's I anyway. Yeah. So. No, I love it. And and when I first heard that story, I was just like, that is the coolest thing ever. And at the same time, like, I was like, I don't know that I could do that. So like, <laughs> I don't necessarily pick up the hitchhikers. It did shift my thought process on and it's helped me come to a place where, you know, I've always kind of felt like there's no such thing as a coincidence, like everything's part of the greater plan. And and we get to choose if we are open to the lessons or open to, you know, the divine intervention that that's laid out for us and allow life to happen for us. Like there's a there's a reason that somebody reaches out to to me or to you or to anyone else and how we interact with each other and, and being open for a while. I, I considered it, you know, I sort of referred to it as a culture of yes, like you know, if, if I can get invited somewhere, I want to go, I want to be there, you know, see what collisions happen, see who I meet, see who, and it, I, I've had to modify that because I got myself into trouble where I was saying yes to everything and there's just not enough time and, and my priorities are my children and my wife. And so there's a balance there. And so many of the things in life that are important, they don't, you're not asked, they, they, a lot of times the other person doesn't even know. They don't know yeah. that they're there. And so, and so um, a level above that, and I think you have to go through, there has to be a phase of yes. There has to be, it's part of the progress. I went through a, I went through a long phase of yes. And, and the, I've, I've also found that the bulk of what I do, people didn't come in asking for what I do. They just, they were in my proximity that was one of your words. They 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 moved into my orbit, and instead, when I started seeing that people that that they moved into my orbit intentionally or unintentionally, that there's purpose in everything, and that there's a there's a level of divine organization and 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 structure, and curriculum both for me and the people around me. It's not always that that my job is to save them. It's or help them. Often it's. They've got some insight or something to share that that makes me see things differently or yeah. changes my trajectory. And but when when I when I see that there's always purpose, there's a reason why the person standing in front of you at McDonald's in line at McDonald's is standing in front of you. And it, on on the micro level, it gets down to that. If we're willing to trust that, yep. You what we'll find is, well, man, that's where all the miracles. That's the miracles. That's the stuff miracles are made out of, right there. Yeah. Um, and it's not the, hey, I got invited to this speaking engagement. And while I was there, one of the people in the audience that came to hear me speak had this transfer. It's like, yeah, those kind of happen on their own. It's this, it's the unexpected, you know, the stuff that's in our hearts, the stuff we're praying for that we don't even talk about the, the ways that gets answered is, is, is by trusting that things are in perfect order exactly where we're at. And, and yeah. I can actually go fishing. That was my big epiphany was I love to fish and I can go fishing and completely be my purpose and fish all at the same time. And I don't have to chase it. If someone's supposed to be with me, God will put them right in my fishing boat with me. Yeah. He'll, they just will. That's what will happen. And they won't know why they're there. And I won't know why they're there. And they didn't come to, and, and, you know, and, and yeah. the miracles happen. So good. It's so good. 
because it also flips it to if they're not there or if they're not showing up, it's because they're not supposed to be. Right. You know, so it, 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 both sides of that coin are, are totally accurate, which is a great segue into the last thing that I wanted. I mean, not necessarily the last, but on my list of things that I had to talk to you about was Charles McAllister. <laughs> this story is amazing and it is filled with tiny miracles and, and quite frankly, huge ones, <laughs> like things that are just seemingly unbelievable. Um, depending on where your, where your filter is, right. Where your worldview lands. But I would love to um, share that story because I think it is a amazing story of trusting and listening and all of it. Um, yeah, it was a, it was, it was a crazy. Um, so I'll, I'll tell, I'll tell you the story, at least from my, you know, what's, what's really funny is, is that in this, in this story, there's, there's about 10 stories and, and depending on whose perspective you're listening to, uh, you know, I just, we spent the weekend with, um, well, I'll, let me tell the story first and then, and then, we'll, yeah. So it's been, it's been interesting because everybody has their own miracle in the story, but about, uh, about 10 years ago, I was, uh, I was speaking at a, at a big conference in Las Vegas in your hometown. Yep. And, um, I was speaking at the International Builders Conference at the convention center there. And I was also coaching a group of people for a company that is in Dallas. And on, on Monday of that week, I was going to give them an assignment to go out and connect with the stranger and find 20 things they had in common with the stranger. And they had to be 20 things that most people would not have in common. So they had to be 20 things that weren't super common with people. So you couldn't say things like, we both like food and right. we both have shoes on. We both have shoes on. Right. And so, um, and so it was, it was a Saturday night. I'd spoken that afternoon and I'm, I'm, I'm on the strip and I'm thinking about this stretch I'm going to give to this group, these 50 people I'm coaching. And, and, and one of my traits that, that is sometimes good and sometimes not is I, I don't like to, I believe in eating my own dog food. So, so I, before I gave it to them, I said, I'm going to go out and um, I want to do this. I want to experience it. And I want to make sure it works the way I think it will, the, you know, the, the way it works on paper. And, and so I just went out and I'm walking down along the strip um, by the MGM. And I see a guy that's an artist on the sidewalk and he's drawing pictures for people for 20 bucks or something. And you could tell he's, he's, kind of homeless. I mean, you know, the, the way he's dressed and stuff. And I stopped and talked to him for a little bit. And I said, you know, I'm doing this project and I'm going to coach a bunch of people. Can I buy you dinner? And can we sit down and, and will you do a project with me? And so we went into this fat burger and, and I bought dinner and we started asking questions and it started picking up steam. And he went from kind of being somewhat reserved to by the time we're done, it's, it's just rapid fire back and forth. Have you ever done this? What about this? What's your favorite here? How are you doing? And he's asking me as many questions as, as, and, and I am thinking, oh my gosh, this is incredible. This is way better than I imagined it would be. And I'm, I'm just going back and forth and we are laughing and belly laughing. I mean, it was, and at the end of it, I'm like, okay, I got to film this. I was going to just tell him about it, but I'm like, I got to film this. So I, I took out my phone and I said, um, 
And I started the video and I said, hey, this is Brett Harward. I'm on this trip in Las Vegas, Nevada. And this is my new friend, Charles McAllister. And, and that was the guy's name. And, and, I, and then I kind of interviewed him and, and we talked about what we had in common and what we had learned about each other and what a good experience we'd had. And, and, I, and I posted it and you know, like, I asked him a whole bunch of questions. We didn't film the, like the interaction, we just filmed it at the end. Yeah. One of the questions I had asked him at the time that kind of, I had a ping when he said it, but I didn't mm. like know what to do is he's, I, I asked him about his biggest regret in life. He said, I have a child. I don't know. I don't, I don't even know. I don't. Um, and, you know, and I'm thinking, how do you, how you can't find someone that you don't even know whether it's a boy or girl or what their name is or where they're at, or if they're even alive. I mean, that you have to have one of those pieces of information to even start searching. It's like, there's not even the ability to search for this child because you don't know anything about it. And, and so I kind of sidestepped it and and told him, said at some point, I'd like to help you with your art career. We talked a little bit about that and we left and, uh, I, we, we got each other's phone numbers actually. And then I, I lost his phone number. So, um, and I did call him once at one point about a month later and just check in and say hi to him. And, and I left, so 10 years passed and, and I've thought about Charles a lot. I've even, I've watched the video I made with him probably 20 times just, um, and, and on, on January 16th of the year, I got a, a, a message on LinkedIn that kind of shocked me and it said um hey my name is peter McAllister, and uh and you interviewed my dad 10 years ago and and i'm 42 years old i've never met my dad and i've searched for him for my entire life and i only found a picture of him yesterday i he said i've I later found out he had probably sent two or three hundred pictures to his mom he'd he'd get online and look for black Peter McAllister's or, or black Charles McAllister's. And he would send a picture or about the age of his dad would be. And he had sent pictures to his mom saying, is this him? Is this him? Is this, cause she didn't have any pictures of him. Wow. And it's like, no, that's not him. That's not him. There was a whole bunch of kind of looks like him a little bit, but not totally. And, and so he's thinking she's not even gonna be able to help me. Cause she doesn't even remember what he looks like. What are you, well, like, I don't look like I looked. <laughs> right. Right. And, and so, he said he he said it, he found a picture from a college yearbook uh, at, at, for for Pitt Technology School or, or Pitt Tech, and he sent it to his mom. He found it on Ancestry.com. Said, "Is this my dad?" And she said, "That's him." And so he finally he saw the first picture ever of his whole life of his dad. He had never even talked to anybody who had talked to his dad except for his mom. And he's he spent all day long on Facebook on Friday, and on Saturday morning he finds he he's going through and he's like 10 links in and the last video is a video that shows that the the thumbnail had a black guy and it said interview with charles McAllister or something it was what the text said and i don't know who made the notes or whatever because i say the word charles McAllister on the video but it doesn't say it anywhere and he said i i turned on the video and he said i some white guy's starts off talking he's like he's, he's getting ready to turn it off because it wasn't what he thought and then he said i turned the camera and he said all of a sudden i'm looking at my dad and and i recognized him because i had seen his picture and i recognized that's my dad and and not only was it my dad but 
we're talking about my dad and the interviews, yeah. he's not just like a person on, on the film. It's no. about him. He hears his voice. He sees him. He's learning he's about laughing and he's talking oh, about yeah. all the stuff that he, that, you know, we're talking about all the things that he and I, that Charles and I have in common and running track in high school and doing all the, you know, all the, and he, so he's not only talking, but he's learning all these details about his dad's life. And he's watching it saying, Oh my gosh, I ran track. I ran the quarter. I ran the 440 in track and my sons both ran the, run the 440 and, and we didn't know anything about that. And, and, you know, as I'm going through my 20 things I have in common, his son is saying, I do the same thing. I feel the same way. I've got that in common with him too. And so I get this LinkedIn message saying, Hey, I want to talk to you. Um, if you, if you would call me. So I, we set up a call for Sunday morning and uh, I called him and, as we were talking, I was really moved. And, and I was thinking, this is so weird that 10 years ago, this video would come back like this. And, and it's so weird that 10 years ago, I had the thought, we can't possibly find your, your child. We didn't know whether it was a son or daughter even. Yeah. We couldn't possibly find them because we don't have any information at all. So the fact that somehow from the video, they found me, you. I'm thinking, that's a miracle. This is a yeah. miracle. And and there's a God thing in this that is really, you know, profound. And so, so as we're talking, he said, do you know anything about my dad? Have you talked to him? And, and I am just kicking myself thinking, dude, I had his phone number and I don't, I don't have, well, come to find out he's probably had, he's probably had eight phones since then that are different phone numbers. So it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have mattered. But at the time I was like, ah, I screwed this up. This, this would have been perfect. That was my first thought. This would have been perfect if I would have had his phone number. Nobody is ever yeah. throwing phone numbers away after they hear this story. That's right. And and uh, and so I, I posted on Facebook to my friends in Las Vegas and said, hey, here's a picture of this guy. Can, will you guys go out and look around, see if you can find him? And I mean, we don't know whether he's still alive. We don't know if he's moved. We don't, we have no idea. You know, it's been 10 years is a long time. And you know, we had some people that said, I think I've seen him in the art district. I, I, you know, but they were very, not very sure. And so sure. after the week of that, then I said, all right. And this is where the faith, this is where the kind of the, the faith thing really came into play. Up to this point, it's a lot of words and, and not a lot of extra effort, but there after two weeks, then I said, okay, I called Peter and I said, I'm going to find your dad. So I, I will go find him. And, and there's part of me that knew that I could find Peter. And, 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 and I, I thought that I kind of knew an area because I knew he was an artist and I knew they had an art district down there um, in Old Town. And so my wife and I hopped on a plane and flew to Vegas. And we dropped into Vegas and, and we, we live in Jackson Hole. So the mask thing, I mean, we wear masks in grocery store stuff. But if, if you're outside, you don't wear a mask here at all. Yeah. And the first thing I was shocked about is everybody has masks on everywhere. They're All the like, time. The whole time. They're, yeah. if they're walking down the strip. If they're out, so everybody has a mask. And a lot of places it's mandated that even outside you have a mask. Yeah. So you're trying to find a guy that you met 10 years ago. By his eyes. In Las Vegas. Hoping, hoping he doesn't have a mask on or you got to remember what he looks like by his eyes. Well, well, well yeah, I've got to remember what he looks like by his eyes because I'm assuming he's got a mask on because everybody has a mask on. Yeah. And, and so we're, we, we stayed downtown because that's where I thought that, you know, my best logic was. So I started off, you know, with this logical, let's 
let's calculate it out and figure it out. That's kind of what I have a tendency to do. And I walked around and I had a picture of him on my phone and I probably asked 50 people the first night. We probably walked four or five miles first night back and forth in the art district. And I asked policemen and artists and homeless people, anybody I could find that would be around there a lot. Have you seen this guy? You know who this guy is. And I got a hundred percent. I didn't even get anybody that said, yeah, he kind of looks familiar. It was no, I have no idea. I've never seen him before. I have no idea. And we realized, and, and we went to bed that night and I thought, okay, this is impossible because, because the one, it would be hard to find him in the one little place we thought he might be, but now we're left to, we don't even know if he's here. We don't know if the, and the, all these nagging questions. So the next day we went to where there was more people and we went out to the strip and did the same thing just, and we walked 18 miles and, and it was, and I'm sure that we made a lot of people uncomfortable because everybody walked by, I'm looking at him, trying to see their eyes and see if it's because they all had masks on and, and, you know, my wife is walking behind people. It's like, that guy's, I mean, we're down to trying to just, if they were black, they kind of qualified because I couldn't remember, you know, that was the one distinguishing characteristic. And, and my wife had walked by people and say, Charles, Charles McCallum to see if someone responded or turned around and, She's great. Uh, it was, there's no, I mean, nothing, nothing, nothing. And, and uh, we, you know, th this was one of our pivots. So this is one of the things that is after walking for 10 miles, then I said, <coughs> we had a, <clears throat> and, and the way that, the way that all the synchronicity, the kind of the flow of how things happen. So my wife, um, we had somebody that came up to us and wanted to talk to it. You know, you have all these people on the street down there. They're trying to sell you timeshares and stuff. And somebody yep. came up and said, Hey, can, can I talk to you guys for a second? And my wife turned around and just chewed their head off. She's, I mean, we're, we're, we're urgently, we're, we're trying to cover as much ground as we can. And she's like, we don't have time right now. Quit it. You know? And, and, and then I turned around like I sometimes will do and bit her head off for biting that person's head off and said, okay, be nice to people, be nice to them. You know, you never know. And, and, and I said something trying to be snotty to my wife that, that, you know, and I said, you never know. They, they may know him or, you know, and, and, and all of a sudden this, I had this epiphany. It's like, okay, I'm making this too hard. It's, it's that I teach this, this empty chair thing. Right. And yeah. I'm like, I'm not doing that. I'm trying to force it. I am desperately trying to go out and chase Charles down. And, and so I turned to her and I said, we are making this too hard. In fact, I'm going to, let's just, let's start with this. Let's assume the next person that wants to talk to us, the reason they want to talk to us is because they, um, they have information about Charles. And wasn't two minutes later, some guys Try calls us, you know, he's waving at us. Hey, can, can, can I ask you guys a question? And and so it turns out he wanted to sell us some drugs. And um and and my wife just kind of she wanted to just keep on walking. I said, stop, what, hold on a second. I said, you can. You can ask up. I have some questions for you too. So you do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? And he said, um, okay, why don't you go first? He was surprised. I said, you know, do you know this guy? Have you ever seen this guy? And he says, yeah, I know that guy. I said, you do? Have you seen him? He said, yeah, I've seen him on the streets all the time. 
And, and now we're, and he said, he's not here. You're not even close to where he's at. He's in a different part of town. And I said, can you show us where he's at? I said, what, tell me what you wanted to ask me. And he said, I'm not going to even say, cause I'm embarrassed now. <laughs> and so he said, he said, okay, I can show you. And uh, so he walked two and a half miles with us. Wow. He walked two and a half miles and we talked and we talked about him and what he had going on. And we hit a part where he's like, okay, so usually between right here and right here. And it was, you know, like a half mile section of the strip. He said, I've seen him here before. And, you know, he's, he's over here. He could be over on the other side. And, and, but this is where I've seen him. And so we walked the whole area with him and we didn't see Charles. And he's like, yeah, I don't know where, where he's at. I haven't seen him for, but I've seen him in the last couple of weeks. So we knew that he was around someplace. He was around there. Yeah. And he said, but uh, yeah, he said, really quiet guy. He just stays to himself. Doesn't say anything, you know, has, he has a little pad. He's drawn stuff for people. I'm like, that's the guy. So without me telling him he was an artist, he told me that's how I knew he, he had the right he, guy. You knew he was legit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I said, okay, well, um, and so we, we left and, and, uh, his name was Derek. And, and so we, 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 my wife and I kind of walked that loop for another couple of hours till it got dark. And then we said, all right, this, we're still not there. And so we, we went back to the hotel and we had to fly out the next morning. And so we're driving to the airport at 10 o'clock in the morning. And I said, and I'm like, this, this isn't right. We're, we're, we're supposed to find Charles. And, um, and so I said, let's get off. And so we have this, you know, one of the, on this trip, this is one of those things, a lot of stuff lined up. We, we end up with a really nice suite for a really cheap price. Cause they're out of, they're out of rooms that we've got. So we got an upgrade the suite. We rented, a, we got a rental car for $12 a day and they're out of rental cars. And so we had this, this Mustang convertible that, and we're driving down the strip in our Mustang convertible and, and, or we're, we're driving down the freeway. And, and I, I said, let's, let's make one last pass on the strip. So we're driving down the strip. We're not, we don't have time to walk. We're driving down the strip, you know, going 40 miles an hour on a Sunday morning. And because yeah, the strip is empty right now. Like you usually can't drive 40 miles right, an hour. Right, right. The strip, there's not hardly any people. There's still hundreds of people outside there. There's people everywhere still. It's yeah. not as packed as what it, it, you know, it's not thousands like there would have been. A yeah. year. And we're driving down the strip. We're, we're driving past Bellagio and I'm driving even, and I'm looking out of the sides and you can't see anybody in her face. Everybody has masks on. And there was a, a single guy that was standing, looking out over the lakes at the Bellagio. And I couldn't, I couldn't see his face. We couldn't see anything. I couldn't tell if he was black or white. I mean, I, I, there was nothing remarkable about him. Um, and, and there, and there's still hundreds of other people that are walking past and, and, as we drove by it, I just had that thing. And I just knew, and I said, that's him right there. And my wife's like, who, which one? There's, there's a hundred people there. It's like the guy that's looking out, that's him. And I pulled off to the, into the driveway at Bellagio and jumped out and told my wife, go park the car, figure out how to park the car. And, and inside I had two conversations going. One of one conversation was that's him. I know that's him. And the other conversation is this is stupid. You're an idiot. You can't, <laughs> You can't know that's him. That makes no sense at all, right? And and I walked, and, and so I ran down in front of Bellagio. I ran all the way down the sidewalk, and this guy was still standing there. And I said, and I walked up behind him. I still hadn't seen him yet. And I walked up behind him, and I said, 
Charles McAllister. And he, he turned around, this guy turned around and he said, that would be me. And I was like, I, uh, there was part of me again, the two sides of the conversation. One of them was, of course it is. And the other side was, holy crap, you gotta be kidding me. That's, I can't believe it. I, I, how, this, there's no way this could just happen. The, uh, the mathematics on it are, are impossible. Right, it's a miracle. And, I, I mean, there's no other way to explain it. It's and and, it's and you know, as as we and so I didn't tell him about his son. I told him. I said, I hey, I've got. I came back to find you. I said, Do you remember me? And when when we had talked before, I told him I had written a book, and he said, I, he said, what what kind of book? And I, I was trying to tell him personal about personal development, and he said, like chicken soup for the soul. And I said, <laughs> yeah. That, sure. That's close enough. That's Let's go with that. that. Yeah. So, so I when I I said, "Do you remember me?" And he said, "Yeah, you're chicken soup." And I said, "That's me. That's me. I'm chicken soup. That's that is that is who I am." He said, "Yeah, I've thought about you a lot over the years." And I said, "He said we made that video. He said, am I am I famous yet?" That's what he asked me. And I said, "You're you're, you're about to be." Um, and that's so good. <laughs> so, so good. And, and so I told him, we ha- I, I've got some friends that really want to support you and, and, and be on your team. And, and so I said, can we meet again next week? I'm, I'm, I got to fly back right now, but I'll fly back down here. I want to make some introductions for you. And so I called his son and, and he said, yeah, I'm, I'm in. And, and so I, we decided to meet right there in front of the Bellagio where we were standing a week later. And I called his son and said, Peter, you got to get your family and, and uh, get, get down to Vegas next weekend. So you're going to meet your dad. And, and, uh, and anyway, so it's, so the next weekend we flew down again and it was the it was just, Oh, it was, it was so, it was such a miracle to watch. And, you know, I, Charles was there waiting for us and, you know, this time I got his phone number and, and put it in every device I had, so I couldn't possibly lose it. And, uh, and I, I start, I started off seeing how he's doing and, 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 uh, I'd send him some new clothes and stuff. I said, I want you to look sharp when you meet these people. And, and, and his son and his family waited, they're, they're like 50 yards up the walkway there. And so I got him kind of prepared. And, and then I said, and I waved Peter over. And so Peter came down first and I said, this is Peter. He wants to be on your team. And Charles said, good to meet you, Pete. He said, I'm gonna call you Pistol Pete, you know? And, and I said, <laughs> well, so here's something you need to know about Peter. His last name is McAllister. And he, Charles just starts laughing. He says, McAllister? He said, how do you spell it? How do you spell your name? And I, I said, yeah, hold on a second, Charles. He spells it the same as you because this is your son. And he's like, two C's? You spell it with two C's? And I said, no, Charles, this is your son. And he said, he said wait, it's my son? Hey, my son. And I said, no, this is your son. You and I talked about this 10 years ago. This is your son. And he says, wait, where were you born? What was the deal? How old are you? What's the, what's the, you know, and then did all the grilling. Like, what is the game here? What's this game? Yeah. And, and, and then it's funny because his grandson, um, Roman looks exactly like Charles. I mean, just the spitting image of Charles. And and he says, and so he Peter introduces himself and, and then he says, Let me introduce you to some other people on your team. 
and he says, this is my son, Peter, this is my son, Roman. And Charles looks at Roman and Charles says, he turns to me and he's like, he looked just like me. He says, <laughs> I know you ain't lying now. You know, and, and yeah. uh, I said, yeah, yeah, you're, you have a son. And uh, it was just, it was awesome. And all the God stuff, and then the part of it, you know, the big takeaway, here's what's interesting is I have a lot of those stories because I believe in that. I live life like, like everything is, is on purpose. And, and, and I dive into a lot of things that if, if I didn't believe in a God, I would never engage in because it's way over my head and it's way beyond the math on it is it's impossible. It's, it's impossible math. And, and so I dive into stuff regularly that is, um, it's in really deep water that's over my head. And I trust that, that, that I'll, I'll, as long as I go as far as I'm capable of going and I show up where I'm supposed to, that then God bridges the insufficiencies for me. That's my, that's my version of God is, is this thing that, that when I've done everything I can do, he doesn't do stuff for me and he doesn't make things easy. Um, yeah. It's, it's funny to me because I hear this story as like this once in a lifetime sort of miracle, you know, finding this needle in a haystack. And I know you well enough to know that you have <laughs> a dozen of these stories. Because well, I've got, I've got this is who you are. You know, it's, it's amazing to me. And this is why I wanted you, why I wanted to talk to you, why I wanted you to have this on the show, because people need to recognize, I want people to know that like when you live in purpose the way you do, and when you put your beliefs on trial the way you do, like, okay, God, you got me. I'm going in. I'm going all in. Like there is a, there's a leap of faith there that most people don't have. Right, I'm buying plane tickets, so you better have my biggest. You've got to, and and I'm curious, like, and I know Catherine a little bit, but like, do, does your wife ever look at you across the dinner table and go, "Really, again? We're doing this again?" <laughs> or, I mean, I don't think she'd be your wife if she wasn't on board, but like, my my wife is super interesting because she doesn't initiate stuff like I do. So she's, I'm all, I'm usually the one that jumps, and 100 percent of the time when I say. No, it's, it's, it's a God thing. This is what we're supposed to do. My wife has zero pushback ever. She's like, I'm in. So I'm in. What do you want from me? I'll be, I'll be right with you. And, and that's uh, a great partner. And yeah, and she is. So, so I, I drive, I definitely dive into things that are, um, where, where any reasonable person would say, okay, this is stupid. And, 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 and I don't know that I have, it's, it's why I drive into the airport. I, I was completely like, this isn't right. What's, this isn't right. Even though I'm thinking it's, a, it's, it's not, oh, this was really unlikely. This was a one in a million thing anyway. And, and, and so it's, I'm not surprised we didn't find him and maybe some you know, trying to make it okay. Yeah. I wasn't there. I'm like, okay, what are we doing? It doesn't work like this. I, 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 it's a hundred percent that we're going to find him. How can something's wrong? You know, it yeah. literally was that kind of a, um, like I was shocked that we hadn't found him. And where most people would have been like, yeah, I figured that was, you know, it was, yeah. it was a good time. We had fun. But I mean, I, it's funny because 
I'm thinking like, there's so many layers. Like you said, there's so many stories within this story. Like most people wouldn't walk 15 miles in a day to try to find a person that you couldn't recognize. Like the, there's so many things in this that, that for, and like for me, you know, I lost my mom when I was three. So it's extremely moving to me to, to hear Peter's story of getting just to see a video of his dad and hear his voice and get to know things about him on a personal level. Like I would love to have that opportunity. That, that it, we could have stopped the story right then. Stop there. It would have been a really, it would have been just an amazing miracle. Right. Wow. I mean that if, if I had that from my own personal experience, that would be just more than I could ever ask for. Mm-hmm. Right. And so listening to this as I watch this and, and, you know, it's funny, you don't post on Facebook a lot or I don't see your Facebook posts. I don't, I don't post much. And, and so, you know, the way the algorithm works, if you don't post a lot, you know, a lot of people don't see it. And so it was really interesting to me also that I saw your post within like a couple of hours of you posting the original, Hey, there's this crazy thing going on. If you happen to know anybody in Vegas. So we shared it and we tagged a bunch of people we knew. And I, I don't know if any of them were of any help, but yeah. watching the story unfold from beginning to end was so empowering. It's, it's the difference to some degree. It's the difference between goofing around on the basketball court and just goofing around and throwing the ball up from three quarters of the court and, and having it swish and be like, holy crap, that's amazing. It's the difference between that and standing at the three-quarter court mark and say, everybody watch. Everybody watch because I'm about to swish this. And, and, and I'm posting on Facebook saying, I'm going down. I didn't, I didn't report it afterwards. I'm, I'm saying, Catherine and I are going down to find Charles. You did. So we're going to go find him. And, 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 and like, I'm calling the one in a million shot on the front end because I trust yeah. it. I trust it that much. Hey, Ruth, you're, you're pointing at the... That's right. I am. I'm pointing to the, I'm pointing pointing to the fence. I told my wife after I saw that post, before you found him, I said, if I ever need to find a needle in a haystack, I'm calling Brett Harwood <laughs> because I know that he can get it done. And it wasn't, I don't know, a couple of weeks later, you were sharing, we found him. And I was just in tears because I was like, this guy just all in all the time. And I love it. And I think it's a really great place to sort of wrap it up and Super. just such good stuff. If you want to follow the Charles McAllister story, just Google it. There's already news articles written about it. There's, there's videos all over. I mean, it's just, it's, it's amazing. And Charles will be famous for sure. And you guys are, you guys are doing some stuff to get his artwork out. And, and I think yeah. his son's building him a website and yep. like, yep. Yep. Just in the forgiveness. I mean, there's a whole other conversation. Like, oh, it was that was story upon story. Watching the the forgiveness and and did you see the the whole video with the, with the reunion and everything? Have you watched that video? I've not seen the whole video yet. Oh, okay. You go look on my Facebook page and look at the look at the whole video that I made after the reunion. Okay. And if you want to learn about forgiveness, if you want a, a powerful experience of of forgiveness um so so peter he like what what prompted me to actually say i'm gonna go find him is because i watched peter post a a, uh did did a post on youtube and he's he's kind of a minister and does some stuff like that and he told he told the story of jacob and um 
and and Joseph and and Joseph getting sold into slavery by his brothers and how you know he had every right to just hate them and to despise them and when he heard his dad was still alive and he's like send the chariot send 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 the best of the best and and you know and he welcomed his father and 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 gave him jewelry and just and and you know kneeled in front of his father and and even though he all these horrible things that happened to him and and he taught he peter taught a lesson on that and i listened to his version of the story and and I was just so moved and I'm like, oh, gosh, I, I've got to do this. And if you watch the, the video, I mean, when he finally connects up with his dad and, you know, he brings a prayer shawl and he puts it over his dad's neck and his dad's kind of looking at this. And, and then he starts and then it was something that was kind of an African-American thing that I it would never even occur to me. But he takes and he, he's taking his dad's hands and he's, he's we're videoing this entire thing and, and he's. He's touching his dad's hands and they're they're looking at each other's hands and and he's he says, Dad, do you ever wear rings? And he says, I can't his dad says, I can't, Charles, I can't afford rings. And he says, I want you to have this one. And he takes a ring off and he puts it on and he puts bracelets on and he puts some gold around his neck and he, he all this stuff is like, I want you to feel no, it wasn't just, I'm not gonna hold it against you. It's like I'm gonna honor you. And I'm going to love on you. And I'm going to like, and it was, you know, just sitting there watching it. Then people that were walking by on the strip, I mean, they're saying, what is happening here? And we're kind of telling the story and we got perfect strangers that are like bawling their eyes out and sobbing. And, and cause, cause this whole um, it's like, we're missing that in our society. We we're so easily offended. If we just, it's like, Oh, it is about that. And yeah. so, it's amazing. It's amazing. It is. When you talk about thinking about your legacy, brother, you have, <laughs> you're crushing it at the legacy game. I mean, I'm having a hard enough time holding it together to, so we can keep talking. <laughs> it's oh, so good. And uh, I think that's a really, really good place to just honor you and honor, you know, the things that you're doing to change this world, to bring accountability and vulnerability to people and to live it out. I mean, like if anybody's living it out, because some of the stuff you get into is just crazy and it works because you trust in it. And I'm so grateful that I get to be a part of that and that you've helped me realize that. And so thank you. Well, I love you, brother. So same, same. <laughs>